Ideas matter. Ideas matter. This is Dialogue. Hello and welcome to Dialogue. Heading into 2024, globalization and technology continue to transform the business world. Businesses need to adjust to the shifting global economy to survive, and their business models need to be forward-thinking and resilient to weather economic fluctuation. Meanwhile, China has made many breakthroughs and achievements in high-tech manufacturing in the global marketplace. How can Chinese and international enterprises navigate through a landscape shaped by evolving globalization dynamics and cutting-edge and emerging technologies such as artificial intelligence? And how can business schools foster innovation and business leadership among students in light of the ever-changing economic and technological environment? Join us for our discussion from Beijing. I'm Xu Qinduo. Joining me today is Francisco Veloso, Dean of INSEAD. Welcome to Dialogue, Francisco. Thank you very much for the opportunity to be here. I'm delighted. Let's start with uh, the Chinese uh, tech manufacturing. We know not many years ago, you know, people's impression of the Chinese products uh, were usually it's cheap, it's um, you know, low quality. But then now, I think people have a different understanding of the Chinese, uh, in particular, those high-tech products uh, such as you know, large aircraft, EVs, and lithium batteries, for example. So tell us, you know, does China have uh, achieved or transformed itself into a, a science and technology powerhouse within just a few decades? Uh, thank you for that, uh, for that question. It's a very interesting transformation, as you, were, as, you were, as you were mentioning. And when you have this complex transformation, it's usually to a combination of elements. And I think that's been quite important in the way that Chinese manufacturing and Chinese capabilities have evolved. And I think that one of them is, for example, the science capabilities itself, you know, very important investments in science, wonderful universities that are evolving in, um, in China. Also, very interesting collaboration. For example, a lot of patents between, you know, units that are based in China, units that are based elsewhere to kind of learn from that, um, uh, from that uh, difference of perspectives. And another one is very shrewd acquisitions, you know, for example, uh, Lenovo's acquisition of the manufacturing of some of the, you know, laptop uh, capabilities, for example, BYD and Volvo is another example. I think this has been another very interesting example. But then when you connect that, to very specific bets, I think investments that China has done, for example, in the areas of solar, wind, AI, as you mentioned, and then that connected to new industries, you know, e-commerce and the way that logistics work or in the area of advanced knowledge-based services, you know, companies like uh, Ping An and others is quite an interesting set of elements that altogether support that combination. And in fact, that INSEAD, we've had an opportunity to have several of our faculty members looking at, uh, at different dimensions of that. For example, the work that Ping An has been doing with Good Doctor and how they use that to service a variety of needs in China is a very good example of joining these various elements to provide non-disruptive um, you know, market opportunities. And this is work done by Cham Kim and, and Rene Moborn, for example, that, uh, that illustrate some of this combination of elements. Well, you know, given your strong background of uh, innovation and technology, so Francisco, what are the key factors in terms of uh, innovation, you know, tech innovation? You needed to have the market, but also probably the right policy, and what else? I think, like, like I was mentioning, it's usually a combination, as you said, 
a good support at the policy level is very helpful and we've seen an important investment and, and a lot of thought in China in terms of the development of local capabilities. For example, the Made in China 2025 is a good example of the effort from the policy level to move into more value-added um, more value sectors. As you mentioned, the second aspect is to really understand where the demand is going and not just what we see here, but what we see into the future. The example that I gave you on Pingan is a good example of how thinking about currently needs, but also how the technology, in this case, combination of health and AI is going to help look at future opportunities in terms of solutions is a second very important part of it. And the third one is talents. I mean, it's absolutely essential that the companies are able to bring the right talent at all levels that can propel that transformation. And this is something that, of course, we at INSEAD are very keen on because, you know, we're a business school training business leaders that are at the, at the forefront of that um, innovation, that transformation. And therefore, having that right talent is going to make a big difference for the companies to really be innovative and to be at the forefront of technology. Speak of the future, of course, what will it take for the Chinese businesses you know, to sustain this is kind of a momentum, you know, momentum of innovation, momentum of high-tech manufacturing? I think that, you know, one of the aspects that I think is, is quite important is, you know, to really think about what are, where are these opportunities coming from. As industries evolve, we can look at where are some of these opportunities. And to do that in areas where some of these changes are happening very fast. For example, let's take the example of sustainability and the concern that we have around the world with sustainability. We've seen already some of those examples in terms of the changes that has happened on the electric vehicle sector in China that has evolved quite rapidly. And that provides a very interesting example of how these transitions can be done. What do I mean by that? One example is, for example, to look at adjacent industries. You know, For example, one of the things that, that was very interesting was EVs, sometimes you cannot enter directly in cars, but you can do it in buses or in motorcycles and to develop you know, capabilities in industries that then you can bring into the main industry. The second aspect is to really work with the clients very closely and understand their needs. Again, uh, this work that uh, Chengyi Lin, one of our professors did, is very interesting because he shows that the Chinese manufacturers really work, for example, with taxi drivers to understand their, their needs and their and their specific requirements so that they could adopt some of these electric vehicles. And then another another aspect is to really continue to invest in key capabilities. So if we're talking about the case of electric vehicles, this was, for example, on batteries, or this was on drivetrains. But if we adapt that to other areas, we can do the same thing and think about what are the core capabilities that are going to help in these future needs. And in all industries that are happening to sustainability, from wind to solar to the way that uh, vehicles work, there's going to be a lot of opportunities. So I think this combination between understanding where the market is going in areas like sustainability or AI and digital transformation, and then bringing that to some of the paths and journeys that allows the companies to explore those, those can be really helpful 
in terms of uh, navigating these difficult areas. Francisco, you know, the Chinese companies, in a sense, you can see that the newcomers on the global scene, global market, how, how do you, you know, assess their impact globally, in particular like a European market, for example? I think the impact is quite, um, is quite significant. I mean, we can see that through the, some of the key numbers. I, I mean, China now accounts for about 35% of global manufacturing output, which is quite, which is quite significant and quite, um, uh, uh, and quite important. And we can see that, you know, also, for example, in the, in the global exports that, you know, China went from about 5% in 2000 to 10% in 2010, and now 15% of all global exports that are represented by, by China. So these are very significant numbers that, that show how much there has been progress and how visible they are. But it's not just the overall numbers. One of the things that has impressed me quite significantly has been the fact that you know China has now 20% of the world's R&D expenditure, up from 5% in 2000. I mean, this is a very good example of how this movement and this evolution in the Chinese um, manufacturing capabilities became visible globally in a very in a very meaningful and significant way. I think the other aspect that I just like to complement is with the talents. I mean, one of the things that we're seeing in the in the business school through INSEAD is how much you know Chinese students are also interested into growing abroad and studying and engaging with a variety of different regions of the world and learn through that. And many of them come back to China and contribute uh, back in China as well as around the world. Well, earlier you mentioned about, of course, the impact uh, for the Chinese products uh, in, in other parts of the world. Uh, we know that uh, you know, uh, nowadays there's increasing talk of de-risking policy you know, on the European side. Tell us more about that. You know, like, uh, usually, sometimes people refer to the over-reliance on the Chinese side. You know, how much is too much in terms of uh, over-reliance? You know, uh, the Chinese side would say, oh, we rely on the European market. <laughs> you know, we think that the, the market is very important to us, for example. You know, how do we balance this kind of uh, this relationship? I think that the risking that you, that, that you mentioned is, is, of course, uh, a source of concern that comes from this, this notion of, um, of uh, sensitivity that exists uh, more on the political side. But what I see when I, when I talk about the, uh, you know, the people that are leading on the company side, I think that they understand the value of having these connected supply chains. So the risk, I think, comes not just about the, the, the concerns that exist with with um, you know with one particular region i think the the issues about risks come from a better awareness that sometimes things break down so i believe that the way that things are evolving is to say okay we do not want to be dependent on any one given region and that's not just about china maybe also even within europe even within north america i think that all the business leaders are recognizing that they benefit from working with some of the global supply chain capabilities that exist in places like China, in places like India, but they want to have options so that if things do not quite evolve as they feel that they can, they have alternatives. And that's, I think, just part of building a resilient supply chain that we see, that we see around the world. So I would think that we will continue to see some of that in the sense that people would like to have options available. But I think that as the demand for advanced manufacturing capabilities continues to surge around the world, there's ample opportunities to have both, to have some risk hedging so that 
none of the business leaders feels that they're dependent on one given region or one particular context, but at the same time to continue to evolve and to develop supply chains across the entire world and certainly in the connection to and from China. Well, given this new reality, you know, more or less, you know, we will talk more about that. This is part of globalization or deglobalization, whatever you call it. This is changing uh, the scenario. I wonder, you know, for an educational institutions like your academy, like the INSEAD, how do you foster this kind of uh, collaboration or partnership, you know, facing this complex uh, complexity uh, in terms of relationship, for example, between China and the European countries? Thank you for that, because that's very close to, to, to our heart and to our, to our mission, because INSEAD's mission and vision is exactly to connect people, cultures and ideas around the world and to create understanding, to create leaders that can work in that, uh, in that environment. So this is something that is quite important for us and for the way that we operate. And what, what do we mean by that? That means that to have that understanding, you need to have connections through commerce, through joint efforts. And this is something that we do, for example, through our, our collaborations with China. We have a very important collaboration between ourselves and uh, Tsinghua. Uh, we've created this uh, uh, Tsinghua INSEAD Global Executive MBA, which is an opportunity and a wonderful demonstration of how we can bring leaders together to really contributing in a meaningful way by being together in the same class. And there's people from all over the world that join that um, that particular collaboration. And this, you know, fosters this institutional collaboration, which is very valuable on making sure that we can navigate the challenges that exist in the world. The second aspect is through research. I mean, INSEAD is a leading business school, not only because of its educational programs, but because of the research and the research that we do at the cutting edge. So that's very important that we continue to pay attention to the collaboration what works and doesn't work, as you were saying, what are the opportunities that come into the future? How can we work together in a better and more efficient way? And so doing that you know, through our researchers, through our faculty members is again, quite important. And the third one is to be a forum of exchange, a forum of learning. You know, through the seminars, through the executive education that we, that we have, we again bring executives from all over the world and many executives from, from China put them together with executives from other parts of the world. And through that exchange, you can find new opportunities for business. You can find a better understanding of what are the challenges and the opportunities that exist. And this is what we can do as an educational institution. And this is also what I think the world needs in many, in many dimensions. And through, like us, other educational institutions can contribute to that understanding and, and that connectivity. Well, we are, we are talking about this, um, you know, businesses, uh, uh, collaboration, cooperation, often that's a part of the, you know, we used to refer to or we are still talking about the globalization. At the same time, we do see there are, let's say, challenges, if not problems. Uh, we do see de-risking, decoupling, or rebuilding of a supply chain, for example. People say, oh, this is part of de-globalization or retreat of globalization. How do you characterize the current status of the global trade and businesses? I think it is a it, it is a period of some retraction, as you were mentioning, right? Where things have been going um, uh, a little bit. I would say uh, regions are following a more cautionary approach towards some of these connections. I think one of one part of it is is governed by the political rhetoric, right? So I think that we're seeing sometimes a little bit more belligerence 
you know, rhetoric that comes out of business leaders or out of political leaders around the world. But I think that the business leaders are more pragmatic than sometimes, you know, the environment that exists on the political side. So I think what is important for the for the business leaders is to continue to show that at the commerce level, at the exchange level, at the trade level, that there is a lot of continued opportunities that are going to be good for the world. And at the same time, they need to work with their governments to just understand where are areas where there's true sensitivity to some of these uh, to some of these uh, collaborations. And so, I think the the upside of you know this you know this different evolution is that we will have some interesting reflections about how regions can work within themselves more. And so, this is something that we're seeing here in Europe in terms of the various connections that exists inside Europe in ways that perhaps we were not seeing before. I see that also happening in Asia between China and the ASEAN countries, for example, and the evolution that's happening on that collaboration. And so I think out of this more complicated environment that we're feeling in, there are some interesting new trends that are emerging that as long as the, you know, more the, the, the working at the political level does not become too disrupted, that I think will continue to make its uh, its way and make its evolution. So I would say it's kind of like a, a more gradual evolution than we had before, but not one where I would say that is going to put at peril the evolution in terms of the of the global the global co- connectivity that that can exist in the world. Are you talking about the regionalization, like European countries are working with each other closer? You know, China, ASEAN countries, RCEP, or you know, less North American you know, economies. So some, some yes, that, call it that, even like a fragmentation, uh, of course, with a negative sense there. <laughs> that's exactly right, because I think that people have understand that there is always and there will continue to be some important level of interconnectedness. So as we were talking about before, I think that the fact that people are wanting to de-risk is creating these opportunities for regional connections. And these regional connections are going to be working as a as a counterbalance to some of the global connections to create that those risk hedging mechanisms. So this is interesting because it creates this regional interconnectivity that is evolving quite rapidly. And perhaps that regional connectivity is going to evolve uh, quicker than it was before when we were looking at the more global context. And that's, I think, is the interesting balance that we're going to be seeing over the last the next few years is the regional context working in tandem with a global connection and the countries finding the right balance between where they are in terms of what they can do regionally and what they can do globally, given the political sensitivities that exist at the, at the, at, at the global level. That, that's what I think is going to be the important balance. Now, the important part is that I do think that business leaders and we at INSEAD are very much, of course, in the, our, we see our role as training these business leaders need to understand and navigate this balance, right? And be the first ones to understand where they can do things that are going to be working at the regional level and when they can do things that can operate at the global level and exercise that judgment as part of their leadership, uh, their leadership roles. Well, let's move on to the technology. You know, we have to talk about that and their role in the business innovation, in business operation uh, even. So, uh, you know, given this fast development of uh, like AI, artificial intelligence, like chat, GPT, Sora, et cetera, what do you see their effects on uh, business management, business operation? I think it will have profound effects 
in business operations, in business opportunities. I think we are seeing already, and we will see over the next uh, few years, a fundamental transformation driven by you know the large language models and the generative AI, because it's really impacting the tasks across all levels. So I think we will be seeing a very important reconfiguration of how each of the tasks, and then when you connect tasks, how each of the jobs are going to be reconfigured by the fact that everybody is going to be accessing, you know, this generative AI and incorporate that in their activities. And so that means that every firm needs to be taking it very seriously and really thinking about how they can reorganize themselves to better leverage this technology. And this is in the operations, as you mentioned. So what I can do on my every task, what can I do better because of these? but also in terms of opening new opportunities. What are things that we can do that we were not able to do before because we have now the power of generative AI and what kind of market opportunities that it creates. And I think we will see like it's typical in big disruption context, a lot of new startups that are gonna be occupying these new segments because of course existing companies tend to move slower. So we will see a lot of startups saying, oh, here's an interesting market opportunity. So let me enter this market opportunity and try to capture some of that. And some of them will grow. Some of them will be acquired by the existing firms. But I think you will see some of that Schumpeterian uh, disruption as we can uh, and transformation as we describe it happening over the next few years in a very significant way. Well, there are opportunities as well as the challenges, you know, of course, and ultimately it's about uh, the human being, you know, the managers. That's, you know, obviously relevant to uh, your school there. And, you know, how, how can business schools in particular, like yours, adapt uh, your curriculum and the research focus to address this growing need for, for example, technology literacy, you know, expertise among future business leaders? Thank you, because that's... A that's really close to how we do and how we contribute, as you were saying. And just like I mentioned that, that uh, generative AI is impacting all the, all the sectors and all the industries is, also, of course, also impacting education in a, very, in a very meaningful way. So that means two things, as you said. It means that we need to be looking at our curriculum and how we use it in our classes, you know, how are students learning with AI. And I think that that's a very interesting opportunity because it's going to help them to actually have more personalized learning journeys because they can use AI to help their own learning journey. And we need to make sure that we're creating the environment for the students to do that. That's one part. The other part relates to what the faculty are doing themselves in terms of research. It is quite important that as a school that is leading the way in terms of research in business and in transformation, that our faculty members really help the world better understand how generative AI is changing the way the world works and to continue to write the research articles, the cases that help to illustrate so that many others can learn about this disruption and can think about what are the lessons that can uh, operate for their, for their context and that they can you know, put into their own operations and into the way they do, they do business. And we are, have that in the context of what we do in terms of our degree programs but a very, very important part of what we do is precisely to translate that to the executive education, to the executive education side. And that means that we have a variety of different programs that are precisely helping executives that are out there in the world prepare for this transformation. We have programs like, you know, AI for business to help people understand how business are going to be are changing because of AI. 
we've created an AI executive forum for people to exchange perspectives and ideas and learn from each other in terms of how this transformation is, is taking place. We have a program on transforming your business with AI, which is going not just from the strategy level, but going to the execution and help you think about how that can work in, in practice and a variety of other initiatives. So this is how we think we can contribute, educating the students that are coming through our MBA, coming through our Masters in Management, but a very important set of programs to help executives in their transformation and in their adaptation to this new learning environment and this working environment uh, that AI is bringing. Well, given these uh, uh, challenges, of course, you know, I wonder, you know, what should companies or businesses you know, do to stay competitive in this age of, uh, you know, AI-driven landscape? I think they need to do different things. So one is they need to experiment. I mean, whomever knows or says that they know what the future is going to hold with the AI revolution, I don't think that, that they are thinking in the right way. I think we need to recognize that because of this rhythm of change and because of the nature of change, that we don't quite know where things are going to evolve. So that requires a lot of experimentation. It requires business to try to do something in one way, to, to try in a different way and see what is working better. Let's push that forward and make sure that through that, the one that is having traction in the market is the one that is growing. That's one thing that's quite important. The second part is to really make sure that we that these AI tools are available for the workforce to do that experimentation. Because if we're not creating an environment where people can do this experimentation and they have the right tools, they're not going to be able to do that. So each of the businesses needs to be thinking about how are they going to make sure that that they can experiment and try and try this in an important way. And this comes from the leadership, the leadership thinking about how they create that environment for experimentation. How do they provide the right tools for people to progress in their capabilities and for the organization to progress? The third aspect is talent. Because this is a new area, a new uh, development, I think businesses need to think very hard about how they make you know, their existing employees prepared to navigate and to have the skills to work with these new tools, but also that they're continuing to hire people that are trained and have the right skill set to be able to leverage these tools. And this is why, for example, for us at INSEAD, it's so important that we bring AI into the way that we train our students so that when they finish their MBA and their masters, they can come to a new company and be ready to act with this environment, just like we're doing in the area of sustainability, for example. This you know, market readiness is very important. On the company side, they need to be, make sure that they're bringing this talent in so that these people can help you know, navigate this new environment and, and make the companies progress in their capabilities. With that, we come to the end of today's discussion. Many thanks to Francisco Veloso. I'm Xu Qinduo. See you next time. Sideline Story brings you all things sports related. The hottest topics, latest events, juiciest stories, all with a very personal take. Subscribe to Sideline Story Podcast for heated sports discussions covering events that are happening in China and around the world.